Hey everyone, Tom Salemi here. Welcome back to the MedTech Talk podcast. I hope you joined us last week. Well, I hope you join us every week, but I, I hope you joined us last week for part one of this interview with Rick Randall. Rick is the CEO of Omni Life Science, which is a robotic-assisted surgery company. It's, it's focused on total knee. But uh, Rick has been uh, leading medtechs for quite a long time, uh, took three of them public, and uh, has seen a great deal and shared part of his story last week. Today, we continue that tale. And we focus on Trans One, at least at the start of this interview. Trans One was a very promising spinal startup company that Rick founded in 2002. And he, and he talks about the startup process. And it seemed to do everything right. It had a great device. Uh, the doctors loved it. It shortened procedures. Uh, it had positive uh, clinical data, which, of course, is paramount. But it ran into a problem and that was reimbursement and coding. And it was a frustrating experience. I remember talking to one of the VCs who backed the company uh, a decade ago or so. We were talking, and, and he had been just just had been using this as sort of his example of of why medtech investing was getting so difficult. And, and in Rick's telling, you'll understand what what the frustrations were and, and what they remain. So. I hope you um, learn a lot from this conversation with Rick. I'm not sure if it's something you'll enjoy, but then you'll also hear about uh, what Rick is doing at Omni, and that's a, a fascinating company in a, in a terrific space. So before I get into the interview, I want to remind you that the MedTech Conference is happening on June 1st in Minneapolis. Uh, our rate is expiring, so if you want to uh, save yourselves $100, you should register before May 1st. If you want to save yourselves a little more, $300 or 200 plus 100 when you register under the discount rate, make sure you use the MedTech Talk code. Um, the price will go up to $15.95 after May 1st. You can still use the code then, but uh, why not save as much as possible? Use the MedTech Talk code when you register this week, and, uh, and you'll save some money, and you'll be attending a fantastic event. Go to medtechconference.com. Check out the agenda. We're still adding names here and there. It's pretty much set, but uh, would love to have you there on June 1st in Minneapolis. Now let's hear from uh, Rick Randall of Omni. You were with Target in 1992. Uh, let's go to Trans One in, in 2002. It seems like you, you've had experiences in each decade that kind of are really representative of those times. With Trans One, you were the first employee. Right. Is that more pressure being... The first, what was more difficult, being the first employee at a new company where you're sort of really creating the mold, or sitting in that office at Target Therapeutics, knowing that you know you're in charge and everything falls to you? They're both difficult, I'm sure, in in different ways. I really enjoyed the Trans One experience. It didn't end the way I wanted it to, but I really enjoyed the Trans One experience because it allowed me to really go back to square one with coming up with the actual product. Uh, uh, Target Therapeutics, or excuse me, Trans One, started as a, as a concept. Mm -hmm. and, and there was some uh, benchtop work that had been done, but it was, it was rather crude. And I joined in uh, 2002, uh, and, and it, it was a concept in... And I had an engineer who I was living in North Carolina. I had an engineer who was living in in Minneapolis, and I had a founding physician in Minneapolis. And 
And we were really trying things with, with some spine surgeons we brought on very early on. And, uh, and it was fun. I mean, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a good break for me and, and it tapped into, you know, into things that, that, uh, frankly, I, I just enjoy doing more than a lot of other things. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and then, uh, and the fundraising, you know, by then I had a pretty good track record in, and spine was starting to, to really change and morph. Kaifon mm-hmm. was off and running, uh, you know, the, the Medtronic had paid a, a very, uh, large price for sophomore Danic and yet minimally invasive spine surgery was, it was a ripe field to take these wide open painful procedures and, and find a minimally invasive approach. And that's what, that's what trans one was all about. So, um, so it, I enjoyed doing it. We quickly came up with something that made sense. Uh, we were able to take some uh, spine surgeons who had adopted kyphoplasty, which was the first kind of percutaneous approach to the spine, and that was a huge chasm to cross. But by by uh, by drafting these kyphon surgeons. They had already done the hard work, <laughs> learned, teaching them how to use C arms and and looking at two dimensional fluoro screens to guide their way to the spine, and and so by picking the the KOLs from that group, we quickly got to the point where where we were able to um, to come up with a system that was able to do a fusion through a, a you know an incision that was about half of inch half a half an inch long, without uh, without destructing any muscular structures. Uh, and the theory was if we apply this to real life patients, we should be able to send these people home as an out on an outpatient mm-hmm. procedure. And, and, and so that enabled us to, we quickly got there with the technology. We got, I think lucky. We were lucky with the FDA in, in that they uh, granted us a five ten K, uh, and, uh, and and now we were able to market, and and so we started marketing, and we got some early traction amongst these Kaifan physicians who, who uh, were very intrigued and had already ordained themselves minimally invasive spine surgeons, and found that it was a in their market it was attracting more patients. So all of it kind of came together, but the challenge was expanding beyond that group, and that that's where going back to the selling skills. How do we how do we convince someone to try something that's so unique? And and there was just ways that I've done this before, going back to getting you know cardiologists to put a coronary balloon into an artery and blow it up um, back in 1980. How did we get people to do that? So I, I kind of went back to those tried and tested ways where you leverage your existing user base and almost create a, a club, you know, a club of people who had the who had the courage to pioneer a new way of doing things and the language you use and how you create little incentives for them and in terms of rewarding them for their first few patients with a with a memento we I found a guy who was making um, uh, glass uh, uh, ships you know in bot- ships in the bottle mm-hmm. and uh, I got them to, to, to do these things in bulk for like $50 each. 
And I made a little plaque and I gave it to every surgeon who did their first, when they got to their 50th procedure, we presented, I presented this to them. And, and the, you know, the messaging was you were a pioneer in a whole new procedure and you're doing great things through a very small opening. And, and the metaphor with the ship in the bottle just really registered. And it got to the, be the point where I had surgeons come to me telling me, I want to be one of those ship in the bottle guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so, you know, we, we did it uh, again, and it was, it was very fulfilling to, to start as the first employee in 2002 to be doing humans successfully in 2005 and six and taking the public company public in 2007. It, it was almost too much at, at a time, and we paid the price for that a little bit later on, but, but that was a very fulfilling experience. And, and it was based on a technology that really worked, and, it, and it, to this day, it, 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 it's working and doing very, very well and, and still surviving and starting to, you know, to, to reposition itself in the marketplace. So where did where did things sort of disappoint there? I mean, the whole spinal market got just hit a wall uh, around that time, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, for many reasons, and Kaifon certainly comes up. But what 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 was disappointing about the the how Trans One uh, ended? Well, it's a great uh, a great tale of how some uh, I guess some confluent confluent events. Uh, can can really impact uh, a company and catch you by surprise. And the confluent events were as follows: because of what we were doing was so so unique, we had very strong patents on this approach. I mean, they were so strong that all of the large uh, spine companies, when they took a look at how they could try to do what we're doing and knock us off, it our fundamental method patents were so strong they just couldn't do it. And in a way that it would have been good if a couple of large competitors could have been able to do it because um, it would have validated the market. But but here was this little startup uh, founded by a radiologist, and uh, here we were, you know, going from zero to thirty million dollars in revenue in just a couple of years, and and gaining a lot of traction. This and 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 so every company that we competed with wanted to see us eliminated and um and and that's you know they've got large sales forces so every time we had any kind of a complication anything that went wrong it it was it was magnified in the marketplace uh secondly our physicians as we gained momentum and our physicians were getting uh you know good clinical results and starting to publish Finding their way to the podium, the podia of major, uh, major, uh, uh, um, you know, conference or uh, surgical conferences and spine conferences and whatnot, society conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, they 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 made a big deal about the fact that they could do fusions in 45 minutes to an hour, uh, which was an unbelievable, uh, you know, unbelievably quick procedure relative to the uh, the gold standard alternative procedures. It was a fraction of the time. A typical fusion would take you two to three hours to do, and, and our physicians were, were getting these things done 
in, in 45 minutes to an hour, maybe an hour and a half max. And these pa patients were up and walking and discharged typically the next day. So they were proud of that fact and they were making a big deal about that. But what we didn't know was at the same time that they were extolling the, the, the virtues of how quickly they can do this operation, CMS was having conversations with the specialty societies in spine about their concerns that the times it was taking to perform these fusion procedures did not match up against the value units they put uh, based on time that they based the reimbursement on. Mm -hmm. And and so lo and behold, when when the anterior approach or the posterior approach for fusion was established and measured, and pay surgeon pay was determined, time, like for auto mechanics, is a is is a is a is an important variable. The longer the surgery, the more pay there is, and and these procedures were typically valued at around four hours, and and so the uh, surgical societies were being put on notice that um, that that was a concern and that they may revalue these procedures. So you can imagine a coding committee at the North American Spine Society mm -hmm. is now ultra concerned about, uh, about losing their income due to the fact that they've been able to make these procedures more efficient. And here's this little company out there promoting a 45-minute fusion. So there were two concerns they had. They felt that uh, Trans One was going to shift fusions from the spine surgeon to the interventional radiologist because Kyphon started to do that right around that time. Mm -hmm. And we had no intention of doing that. We felt that the future of our technology was to be used in conjunction with even more sophisticated uh, compound fusions for scoliosis and whatnot so that we had no intention of, of, of training interventional radiologists to do this procedure, and nor had we ever had an interventional radiologist do the procedure. But our competition started beating that drum. NAS became concerned about that, and, and so what they decided to do was to give us a separate code for our procedure. Even though we did our own homework and, and realized that we were fortunate that the procedure fit the, the surgical vignette of the existing uh, ALIF code. So we were advised in, to use it and we did use it for reimbursement, for surgeon reimbursement. Um, they decided to create a new code, which they can, and the society, uh, the societies went to the um, went to CMS and basically said, we're going to do this new code. And that, that put us now in an experimental category. And, and now this is after we had taken the company public. We were about five months post-public offering. Mm -hmm. And out of the blue, I was notified that there was a meeting coming up the following week and there, where this new code was going to be recommended and, uh, you know, I, I was quickly advised that uh, here's, here's what's going to happen. So, so we were un, unable to, to prevent that. Eventually, the company was able to uh, get that new code moved from experimental to a full code. 
But the damage was done because once an experimental code comes out, all the private insurance companies then put a uh, uh, a, uh, a a no pay uh, a, a non reimbursement tag on the uh, uh, on the procedure, and our physicians were having a very difficult time getting getting reimbursed. So our our revenues went from 30 million and then trailed down. We eventually merged the company with Boxano. Boxano, sure. I left. I, I was no longer. I left as I had planned after the IPO again to bring in a new CEO and run the company uh, post-IPO. I made that hire. I brought Ken Rialli in, and then Ken recommended merging with Boxano, and that was the, that was the end of that. Let's take a quick break from this conversation to just uh, remind you about the MedTech Talk podcast code and the fact that our uh, 1495 rate is expiring uh, on May 1st. So if you want to save some money while attending the best MedTech conference there is, go to MedTechConference.com, register, use the MedTech Talk code, and you'll save yourself 300 bucks and learn a ton about MedTech, make many great connections, and uh, you'll get to meet me, which is just, you know, that's worth the price of admission alone, I would guess. So again, go to medtechconference.com, sign up for the MedTech Conference, use the MedTech code, and we'll see you there in Minneapolis. Now back to this conversation with Rick Randall. Do, do you see that experience as one of the changes that has really kneecapped the MedTech industry, the sort of the moving of the goalposts? I mean, here it is, you've, you've created a technology that takes this complex t- procedure makes it easier, make it short, makes it shorter, does exact, exactly what you want to do when you're innovating and you, you're, you're penalized at the end. It seems like that well, really kind of cut. Yeah, it, it, it really was unfortunate and it, 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 it was, in my view, unfair. As I said, today the technology is making a comeback mm-hmm. and, and, and we've, we have patients that are now 10 years out uh, with their results and, and those patients, it, it is the... If I had to have an L5-S1 fusion, that's what I'm having done. Mm-hmm. So it was unfair because uh, it was somewhat political. Um, and, there was, and what was unfair about it more than anything else was I did not feel there was a good, uh, a viable setting to manage that whole process. You know, as much as we may uh, not like uh, how we have to work with FDA, what I've always found with FDA for the most part is they tell you what you have to do, and if you do it and you meet the endpoints, you get there. In the world of reimbursement, it, it doesn't work that way. It, it's, it's much more of a black box. And I've, I've been through this subsequently with a couple of other companies. They're, and now one of the things I will not touch is a technology that has to find its own reimbursement because you spend millions and millions of dollars and years in developing the science and the approach and, and, and only to get to a point where you have zero control and the government doesn't have to tell you why. Hmm. <laughs> so, so there's no pathway. Uh, it's not da- data-driven. It just is, uh, it goes into CMS and either they agree or they don't agree and you have no, you know, you, you, you just really, you don't have an um, 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 ombudsman to work through. Yep. It's, it's just, um, it's, it's, it's broken. Now, I haven't been involved with it for maybe 
four years, but I, I don't think it's gotten a whole lot better. No, and that's, and that's, and we'll, we'll end on a happy note when we get into OmniLife, but it does seem to, it's like you're asking entrepreneurs and innovators to color within the lines and, and don't try to create something new. And when, when, when you're right, when, when folks are trying to just stay within existing codes, then, then the reimbursement is sort of dictating the technology that's going to come down the pike rather than someone trying to flip everything on its, on its head and, and create something right. terrific. When I first first raised my first venture money back in 1990-whatever, uh, uh, 94 or 5, 93, I guess it was, when I got into that world of raising venture capital money, uh, I remember the venture capitalist sat down with me and he referred to stacked risks. Mm-hmm. And and so they, they looked at an investment, uh, they looked at all the risks, and and there there gets to be a point where the risks stack up enough where they just uh, decide not to do it because there's too many hurdles they have to cross. And if if one of those hurdles you can't cross, uh, you, you know you're you're done. And 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 so what reimbursement to me has done is it's added a stacked risk um, to an already you know, existing stack of risks. This is a big one. And, um, and I, think it's, I think it's one of the reasons why uh, I know a number of venture capitalists will not touch a company uh, if, if there's reimbursement risk, but I think it also was maybe the last nail, the, the last straw, so to speak, for a number of firms when it came to medtech and they, and they shifted over. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think it's, it's, by chance that we saw a a more steep de- decline in the number of venture firms willing to uh, to support medtech right around the time we saw an increase in uh, in in reimbursement risk on these new technologies absolutely well let, let us do go to the next uh, chapter in your your very accomplished story life story uh, omni life. You're, uh, tell us a bit about how you came to find this opportunity and uh, where you're at and where you're headed. So how did you find OmniLife or how did it find you? Well, to, to preface it, the one area I stayed away from after my, my first uh, introduction into orthopedics with, uh, with innovative devices, the area I stayed away from was, was uh, hip and knee replacement. We at the at the time some of our agents that we used around the country to distribute our product and sell our product were uh, were uh, agents who also had hip and knee lines and and I I just wanted to stay away from that I if you if you historically look back at market shares in hip and knee surgery um, they basically haven't changed very much unless there was an M and A event so. Um, Zimmer now has more share because they merged with Biomet. But uh, unlike other areas like cardiology or other markets where a new technology could cause uh, a, a major shift in, in, the, in, in the pie chart uh, representing the, the various shares held by companies, that's really never happened in orthopedics. So why would a guy who's made his whole career or based his career on emerging technologies that can change the way physicians do things and gain share and build revenue and then take it public and maybe sell it to another company. Why would I go there? Well, the main reason I, I, I came here is because I, through a, a, another assignment I had in between, I, I got involved 
with the Cleveland Clinic, and and they convinced me, the, the folks that I worked with there convinced me that where CMS was going and eventually where the private insurance companies would follow is a value-based medicine system and and we would now see more reimbursements going forward in the in the form of a bundled payment. So, you know, one payment has to take uh cover all that is uh happens to that patient for, you know, a period of time uh or which they now call the episode of care. And and my view once I became convinced based on a pilot program that the Cleveland Clinic was involved with, that this was the way it was going to go, was that that could be a created real opportunity in markets where there hadn't been an opportunity. Because ultimately, the, we all respond to the almighty dollar. And if reimbursements are shifted dramatically, and those reimbursements are based on clinical outcomes, and... Um, Clinical outcomes can determine whether you make more treating the patients or you you make less or you possibly lose money treating the patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, for the first time in a long time, in some of these markets, true technology that leads to a better outcome and a better economic outcome or a value, a better value, uh, valued outcome for the patient, um, that that could cause a shift in market. So I joined Omni because Omni was the first company to bring on robotic technology to assist surgeons in doing a better job in first replacing knees and then moving on to replacing hips. And the company was able to show me before I joined some very early evidence that the patients were doing better uh, and the key word here was readmissions, that fewer patients were being readmitted post-op within that 90-day window of time uh, back for a secondary procedure or whatever. Uh, if if the surgeons had the assistance of robotic technology to create a more uh, precisely aligned and balanced knee. And so that's why I, I took the job. So, so you're not necessarily shortening the, the length of the procedure, but rather you're saving the, the hospitals any kind of follow-up costs that may, uh, may cost them money down the road if there are needs for revisions or, or, or follow-up procedures? Uh, w- yes, although we, we, we are, if, if you can in the operating room uh, control the, with the precision of, of robotic guidance, create a very, uh, very much aligned and balanced knee, and you you can document that before the patient leaves the operating room, and you can document that with the knee fully extended all the way to full flexion of the knee or bending of the knee. If you know that in the operating room, then with that patient, you know because you know they have alignment in full flexion and extension that you can be more aggressive in rehabbing them starting that same day they had the operation. So if you know that and you do that, you can affect the, um, the discharge uh, time or the length of stay. And, and, but, but I would tell you that predominantly our savings is not gained by just length of stay. That's, that is a contributing factor. 
but most of the savings is is gained by being able to send the patient home as opposed to going to a more expensive skilled nursing facility where oh by the way they also still have a high risk of 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 a of some type of a surgical wound infection uh at the skilled nursing facility and by sending them home you can employ uh rehabilitation at, at much lower cost so ultimately what what we've been able to accomplish through the use of this technology is for all patients not just the the easy to do patients but the outliers the patients who may have comorbidities or have obesity or are obese or whatever were that the computer and the robotic technology uh is benign to that and um and and we can treat those patients make sure they're aligned and balanced and be more aggressive in in handling them post op and getting them home with home based re- rehabilitation and what we've already seen is a reduction in uh in in readmission rates and a reduction in having to put the patient in a secondary institution like a skilled nursing facility which comes at a cost is there hesitancy on behalf of the buyers uh who hospitals are just sort of reluctant to to buy large uh, capital equipment when they they hadn't necessarily had to buy it before and and what impact is is the striker mako um or strikers moving to robotics by acquiring mako what what impact has that had on your ability to move into markets and and to sell well let me ask the answer the second question first the um, I'm a big fan of Stryker Mako because the more successful they are, the more successful we're going to be. Um, I'm a I'm a competitive guy, and I've heard that I've I've, I've heard for years the you know the you know the the old adage that competition is good and competition makes you stronger. I wanted all my competitors to just fail. <laughs> I, <laughs> I did I did not like competition. I, I was I was my. I spent as much time looking in the rearview mirror with with my companies as I did out the the windshield, and and I, I had a fair amount of healthy paranoia about what what those large companies could try to do to me and and destroy our small little company before we've been able to stabilize it or or see a return for our investors. But for the first time ever in my in my career, I'm actually. In, uh, yeah, I am competitive, but I'm 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 hoping they succeed, because what Stryker has done in a in a much larger way than we could ever do it on our own, is they've used their their big voice, uh, their marketing power, their size to uh, to promote uh, robotic assisted surgery, and they were the first to be out there. Uh, the first large company to be out there with a robot. They were doing unicompartmental knees initially, but they added hips, and now they're moving over to total knees, and they're way behind us in total knees. But they're first in in overall orthopedic robotics. And the best thing that happens to Omni is when someone's looking at a striker unit, uh, and they consider us because they're they're kind of crossing the chasm on moving into robotic assisted orthopedic surgery and they 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 look at what else is available or the other scenario which is even more likely to occur is in a major city someone buys a a a, a, a mako robot and um 
and then all of the competing hospitals are now worried uh, about competing against the robot and patients now show up and they ask, do you have a robot? We, we gain a, you know, a fair amount of our business has been gained due to that, com- that perceived competitive threat uh, among surgeons and or hospitals. So, so, you know, if the tide truly rises with robotic assisted surgery, because Stryker is, is, is large enough to make that tide rise once they jump in the pool, we're going to rise with it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm, I'm, you know, I, I hope they do well because I believe that'll, that'll help us do well. And it already has. Your first question, they, they are going to be more challenged by selling a very expensive robot because what comes along with this bundled payment is that every, every technology that is utilized on that tech, on that patient, um, has to be included in the cost. And and so if you spend a million dollars on a robot, you have to amortize that cost across patients over whatever period of time you're you know you're writing that you, you know you're writing that uh that asset off. And 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 so those costs start to build up in a market that that is really requesting that you lower costs because you're you're on a fixed pay basis and you're getting paid on a fixed pay basis and and so it 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 kind of works against uh what they're trying to achieve with the bundle payment unless your clinical results and your economic results are so good that they more than offset that added cost of having the robot that's more difficult with a million dollar robot what we do is is that we have a user's fee and we also sell our implants at a more typical implant cost, mm-hmm. and uh, and then so we do not we do not charge the hospital a million dollars for the robot. We consign the robot with a user's fee and some disposables and the implant, and and so uh, first of all we don't have to go through very difficult uh, capital equipment budgets uh, or committees in the hospital. But secondly, if if we don't provide an economic return, then they could just throw us out. You know, we they they have not taken ownership of this uh, of this device. Our low cost uh, robotics enables us to to employ this model, and the and the models work very nicely for us because there's just a, a lot of hospitals out there that that they just they they just don't have the capital budget to to. Uh, to take on a million dollar robot that is that is not very scalable so uh, so that that's helped us the the uh, you know the the bundled payment uh, the bundled payment movement has helped us with our business model now that would seem to be a nice a nice way to kind of ease into uh, having this sort of technology in the hospital you're not making those long-term commitments so final question what's what's uh what's your next challenge for Omni Next challenge for Omni is is to really uh, continue to establish the beachhead of robotic assisted surgery um, at the AAOS. Uh, when when we uh, when we entered the my first AAOS, there was one company that had one of the large companies had a robot, no one else did. And when I say the large companies, the the big four in orthopedic recon is Depuy Synthes, Stryker. Smith and Nephew and Zimmer Biomet, 
And only one of those companies had made the leap into the robotics field. Exiting last week, the 2017 AAOS, three of the four now had committed to robotics. Zimmer, uh, for the first time, unveiled a, uh, a robot that they acquired for spinal surgery, but they're now announced they're adapting it to total knees. So the good news is, is the market's been validated. And so our challenge is to continue to finance the company uh, and to take advantage of the market demand that's growing for this technology and to stay ahead of our competitors. Uh, we, we released a new product, or we didn't release a new product, we unveiled a new product that we hope to release in, um, in 2017 or early 2018, if all goes well with the FDA, uh, that, that added another robotic device to our existing platform. So we can now use robots not only to align the knee, but to soft balance the soft tissues around the knee. And if you looked at knee replacement as, a, as an equation that you wanted to balance, you'd want both sides of that equation, proper alignment and proper tissue balancing, you'd want those equal. And that's what this technology does. So, so we stretched our, our lead, but we know that the competition is, is there and it's, and it's coming. So our, our challenge is to properly finance the company so that we can take advantage of the opportunity that we have and the technology that we have in a market that's dominated by very large players. Well, that's terrific. Well, I, I took a lot more time from you than I had anticipated, but I feel like we've had a great firsthand account of, of uh, MedTech over the last couple of decades, so I appreciate the, uh, <laughs> the firsthand I've been insight. doing this a little bit longer than a lot of folks, so you got, you got probably 20 more minutes of history there that you, than you normally would get. Well, I'm sure it'll be appreciated by our listeners, so thanks, uh, Rick, for taking the time today. Thanks, Tom. Take care. Rick Randall, thanks for joining us. Uh, Trans One, again, is one of those stories that we just need to learn from. And uh, it's been very, very helpful and informative to me to, to hear your take on the company's creation and uh, ultimately the, uh, the trouble it ran into. So I hope MedTech Talk podcast listeners found that to be uh, a fruitful conversation. Thanks for joining us. If you could do us a few favors, number one, give us a ranking on iTunes. It really does help people find the podcast. Number two, you've got friends in medtech i know you do let them know about the podcast the more listeners the better finally join us in minneapolis on june 1st uh, this podcast is just a taste of uh, of the conversations that we'll have on june 1st in, in, in a very small taste actually just a little minimal crumb you really should take the whole experience in so come to minneapolis on june 1st register this week so you'll benefit from our uh, discount rate and use the medtech talk podcast code so you'll save even more money. $300 in total you'll be saving if you sign up this week and use the code. So go to medtechconference.com, register to, uh, to attend the MedTech Conference, and we will see you in Minneapolis.